0: Petitioner's Contrary Theory rejects all of this history and would wreak havoc in the administration of elections across the nation.
1: Well, isn't that really the main point?
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the
1: feeling that something right. No, ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs.
2: Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you I am From
1: Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in California In Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI And Round Mountains KKRN Up in Oregon on the Central Coast On KYAQ, Cottage Groves, Queso, Eugene's KEPW Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ concord new hampshire's wnhn fayetteville Arkansas's kpsq in seattle and seattle on kodx janesville wisconsin's wadr and minneapolis st paul's am 950 ktnf we also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the progressive voices channel netroots radio radio for humans nicole sandler.com radio free brooklyn Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your very friendly uh, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. And I have had some fun following our previous thrilling edition of the broadcast. our lively call-in program yesterday, <laughs> Desi Doyen. Yes,
0: it was definitely lively. Uh,
1: debating my contention that neither you, uh, Ukraine nor the U.S. nor Europe should fold to what nuclear arms policy analyst Stephen Schwartz described on this show just a week or so ago as Russia's nuclear coercion. Or nuclear blackmail as Vladimir Putin continues to threaten the West with the use of nuclear weapons and those on the left who have been, uh, I have argued, duped by Kremlin-funded propaganda into somehow blaming the U.S. for the fact that an aggressive, imperialistic Russia, unthreatened in any way by its sovereign neighbor Ukraine, decided to attack and invade it anyway. So uh, on yesterday's program, if you heard it, I uh, welcomed a bunch of callers who disagreed with my position on that matter to call in and and debate or discuss the issue. And I've received a lot of email and other comments since yesterday's show, which I want to share with you shortly because they were very different from many of the callers uh, that we heard on the program yesterday. We'll also uh, in a little bit have Desi Doyen's latest Green News report a bit later this hour. But let me um, hit some court-related news with a guest uh, first today. Let's start here. According to AP and coverage from a bunch of media outlets on Tuesday, the right-wingers on the corrupted and packed U.S. Supreme Court majority seem likely to sink President Joe Biden's plan to wipe away or at least reduce student loans held by millions of Americans. In arguments lasting more than three hours on Tuesday, Chief Justice John Roberts led his Republican appointed colleagues in questioning the administration's authority to broadly cancel federal student loans because of the COVID 19 emergency, as Biden's Department of Education had attempted to cancel as much as uh, $20,000 per student for many of them, or as much as $10,000 per student making as much as $175,000 a year. The plan, which the administration argues is legal under the HEROES Act, which was implemented after 9-11, has so far been blocked by Republican-appointed judges on lower courts. The HEROES Act allows the Secretary of Education to waive or modify the terms of federal student loans in connection with a national emergency. And yet, for some reason, Republicans decide that we get to ignore that law. It was not clear that any of the six justices appointed by Republican presidents on the high court would approve of the debt relief program, although Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett appeared most open. To the administration's arguments, despite the fact that the six GOP controlled states who are challenging the program, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, Arkansas, Kansas and South Carolina, you can uh, thank your Republican leaders in those uh, in those states. They have not really even been able to demonstrate, however, that they have legal standing here to challenge the policy in the first place. Uh, As the harm that they claim that it represents them to give them standing, that harm is uh, kind of dubious at best. And if uh, if our courts were not so corrupted, particularly the Supreme Court, I think that lack of harm would likely have ended this challenge. To the Biden policy long ago. Anyway, more on that and another case recently announced at the high court challenging essentially the right of the Federal Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, the watchdog uh, for consumers uh, challenging the right essentially for the CFPB to even exist. Hopefully we'll have uh, more on uh, all of the above on tomorrow's broadcast. But today, speaking of corrupted courts, yes, including the U.S. Supreme Court, the corrupted stolen pact. And far-right U.S. Supreme Court has has a lot on, on its plate this term. But as the current uh, SCOTUS term with its now 6-3 to hard-right supermajority got underway last fall, we spent a whole lot of time on this program warning about one of their upcoming cases in particular. That case was Moore v. Harper. It's based on a gerrymandering decision out of North Carolina where the state Supreme Court rejected as unconstitutional, a highly gerrymandered legislative map written by the Republican state legislature. And while that case essentially is about whether North Carolina Republicans uh, have the authority to ignore their own state's constitution and the governor and even the state's court system, the argument is about really a, a larger one, about an obscure constitutional theory known as the independent state legislature theory whose proponents argue uh, give state legislators, not governors, not secretaries of state, not even state courts or constitutions, not even voter-approved ballot initiatives, but only state legislatures have the authority under the U.S. Constitution when it comes to mandating laws that have to do specifically with elections. This radical reading of the U.S. Constitution's election clause has never been approved by a majority of the U.S. Supreme Court. But of late, the current court now has at least four Republican appointees who have stated their interest in granting the court's blessing to turn this so-called independent state legislature theory from an obscure constitutional theory into an actual SCOTUS-approved doctrine that would, its opponents argue, shake up hundreds of years of existing election laws across the nation and even allow, as many worry, a state legislature to simply decide for themselves which slate of presidential electors would be approved in that state, no matter how voters may have voted on Election Day. There is a reason we have taken quite a bit of time on this program in recent months to sort of draw your attention to this Moore v. Harper case at the Supreme Court with a screaming siren above and below it. Given the chaos that it could cause regarding, well, pretty much everything we know about elections and election law in this nation since its founding, all of that could now be at stake depending on how the Supreme Court decides. Curiously, however, in the past few weeks, something unusual has now happened in North Carolina, where the Moore v. Harper case at the Supreme Court originally hails from. As University of Kentucky law professor Josh Douglas warned in mid-February at Washington Monthly, the North Carolina Supreme Court has just issued what he described as, quote, two shocking rulings. The first regards Moore v. Harper, where the high court in the state has now decided to Rehear the original case that it decided on just last February of 2022 when it, as Douglas explains, ruled that the state's new uh, congressional and state legislative maps violated the state constitution, which the court interpreted to prohibit extreme partisan gerrymandering. But... Due to time constraints before last year's elections, the court allowed those unconstitutional maps to be used for one more election for the 2022 midterms. Then in December of 2022, after the election, the court ruled in a lengthy opinion that the North Carolina Senate map was still unconstitutional and they ordered the Republican controlled legislature to finally redraw it. Well, now, just two months after the court issued what everyone assumed was their final decision and after the U.S. Supreme Court already heard the case as well, the state high court in North Carolina has now decided to rehear the same case. Why? Well... Uh, One explanation, in last November's midterm elections, the state Supreme Court majority flipped from a 4-3 Democratic-leaning majority to a 5-2 Republican-leaning one. And that, as far as anyone seems to be able to tell, is the only difference between now and just two months ago. As TPM reported, the two Democrats left on the North Carolina Supreme Court dissented in this decision, Uh, calling the uh, decision to rehear the case at the legislator's behest a, quote, radical break with 205 years of history. Nothing has changed since we rendered our opinion in the case on 16 December 2022. The legal issues are the same. The evidence is the same and the controlling law is the same, writes Justice Anita Earls. She was joined by Justice Michael Morgan. Quote, the only thing that has changed is the political composition of the court. Now, approximately one month since this shift, the court has taken an extraordinary action. It is allowing rehearing without justification. This court's decision today, Earls wrote, is an affront to the jurisprudence of this state and to the citizens. It has sworn it has sworn on oath to serve impartially. Without favoritism to anyone or to the state, I dissent, she adds. Nonetheless, the North Carolina court will now rehear the very same issue after a 5-2 to two decision to do so. Why are they doing that instead of waiting to hear from the U.S. Supreme Court on the matter since they have already heard the case? And what does that mean for the SCOTUS case itself? Will it now be moot? Or will it be decided anyway? Joining us now for a lot of questions about all of this is our Old friend, Professor Joshua A. Douglas, who teaches and researches election law, voting rights and constitutional law and judicial decision making at uh, University of Kentucky's J. David Rosenberg College of Law. He is also uh, now writing at Washington Monthly of Late, and he is the author of the recent book Vote for Us, How to Take Back Our Elections and Change the Future. Of voting, Professor Douglas, uh, speaking of the future of voting, welcome back to the Bradcast, sir.
2: Thanks for having me, Brad. Always good to be on.
1: I, uh, okay, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces in this story, and I didn't even get to the second shocking ruling from this new North Carolina Supreme Court majority that you mentioned. I hope to in a bit, but uh, have I generally laid out uh, the, the cards in play accurately as you see them?
2: I think that's right. I think your description was accurate that this is essentially a brazen power grab by the new majority on the North Carolina Supreme Court. I mean, you know, you think about overturning precedent sometimes if uh, the decision has proven to be clearly wrong, Mm -hmm. if uh, the law, the landscape of the law has changed, if there's some sort of uh, change in the factual predicate... Um, if you know, there's not really a reliance on a prior case that has kind of undermined its reason for uh, for being, but there's none of that here because we've only had about six weeks <laughs> between the last time the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled on this and when it decided to over uh, well well to rehear the case and uh-huh. likely to overturn it.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, Certainly not, you know, two months later, is that uh, I I, I think you spoke about it specifically, the history of something like this in North Carolina, that it is uh, wildly unusual for the court to rehear a case. You had some uh, numbers on that, as I recall, was something like they've only agreed to do this twice. Uh, out of 214 requests to do so in the past 30 years. Is uh, is this unusual for the North Carolina uh, court, or is this really unusual for any uh, court to do this?
2: I think it's unusual for any court to act this quickly and this brazenly. You know, you know as you mentioned, yeah, there are two times where... The court had agreed to a rehearing, and it was in pretty mundane situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, on one day, they issued two more rehearing orders, doubling the the number of of rehearings uh, in the past 30 years. And, of course, these two issues, one on this redistricting case, the other on the photo ID law, um, are not mundane or not run-of-the-mill. They're, you know, high public salience. So this really is unprecedented, you know, for the North Carolina court, but as far as I'm I'm aware of courts in general.
1: North Carolina Republicans are claiming that the uh, prior uh, rulings in in two of these cases is another one that they are going to be rehearing uh, concerning photo ID restrictions. But they the Republicans in the state claim the prior rulings were partisan and that the new state Supreme Court majority is simply addressing that partisanship. So uh, I guess the argument is that a more closely divided four to three democratic leaning court was partisan but an even more partisan five to two republican court is not partisan in that thinking is that really the argument they're making here
2: i mean it's politics all the way down right they disagree with the decision uh and they have the vote to now change that decision i mean there's a lot of parallels here to what happened at the u.s supreme court with abortion rights of course right Mm -hmm. they had the vote as i teach my law students how do you win at the U.S. Supreme Court? You count to five, uh, which <laughs> is a majority of the nine. Right. Um, but but courts shouldn't just be blatantly partisan, right? And yeah. you know, there's you know, decades of attempting to overturn Roe v. Wade at the U.S. Supreme Court. Here we're talking about you know six or seven weeks where there's nothing to explain it except for you know, though those who are on the losing end last year are now on the winning end this mm. year, and the reason this is dangerous is. You know, legislators can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, legislators are supposed to be responsive to the will of the people. And even though in North Carolina the justices are elected by the people, we don't think of them as representative in the same kind of way. We think, or at least we should think, of the courts as being responsive to the rule of law, not to the rule of the people who elected them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think there's something to say for the value of precedence. The value of, you know, what, what lawyers call stare decisis, mm-hmm. you know, the, the keeping the, uh, uh, the precedent not changing based on the composition of the court. And so, you know, I would say even if some people believe the 4-3 decision in December 2022 was, you know, partisan based on the makeup of the court, you're only doubling down on the problem by then just reversing it because you have a new makeup. Now you're making the court purely look... Political, purely look like a legislator, mm. not a.
1: And, you know, this feels like uh, it comes via a signal from, frankly, the U.S. Supreme Court, which has been overturning all sorts of precedents uh, in in recent years. And, you know, at least they had the courtesy, I guess, in uh, overturning Roe v. Wade to wait 50 years before they did so. But really, uh, little changed in that and in other uh, court precedents that they've just been throwing out now that, as you say, they've got the five votes. In fact, they've got six votes votes on the court. It also, to me, uh, Josh Douglas, sort of underscores my concern that I've had for a long time with elections for judges, uh, specifically for Supreme Court justices. I I, I don't agree. I think it's nuts. It turns them, it seems to me, into nothing more than politicians, period, uh, you know, where they run on something and then they've got to you know, stay in office, and uh, you know we've been watching this sort of thing for years. Most prominently in states like Wisconsin, for example, there's an upcoming election there that may finally flip the court majority from a right-leaning one to a progressive one. But it seems that I see the idea of campaigning jurists to be insanely corruptive for any court. Am I wrong about that?
2: I mean, I agree. Now you're not, and you're never going to take politics completely out of the selection of judges. Right. Because, of course, in a nomination system, someone's going to have to nominate, someone's going to have to confirm. Uh, you know, there are states that try to do kind of a bipartisan judicial nominating uh, committee type of system. I think that maybe works a little bit better. Uh, but, you know, I agree with you that it is insane to have uh, judges be elected by the people who often, you know, don't know much about the qualifications of you know, who would make a good judge, and and you're inflamed by the social issues of the day. You know, that said, 39 states elect uh, judges Mm. in one form or another, whether it's, you know, all judges or some level of court. So I don't think we're going to get away from a system of an elected judiciary. Now, there's also different gradations of of, uh, how we elect, right? North Carolina has done it on a purely partisan basis, where the judges have partisan labels. Mm -hmm. I think that's even, you know, we're talking about the spectrum of craziness. I think that's even further than the the states that at least have their judges ostensibly being nonpartisan and have rules about the sorts of things you can do and campaigning. Um, So I don't think, but I don't think we're going to get away from that system. So what do we do instead is we have to have judges who um, adhere to the principle of the rule of law, right? I mean, this is really about Values and norms and morals, um, something that has, you know, tons of democracy seen a a breakdown of. Um, And, you know, we need judges to recognize that, you know, look, they're not maybe not going to agree personally with every decision they rent. That's what being a judge is about. Uh, And I think it was actually Scalia, I think, who had said, Justice Scalia, who had said, if I agree with every opinion that I've written or that I sign on to, personally then i'm doing something wrong i think that's exactly the right way to think about this and and the failure of the new supreme court justices in north carolina now
1: yeah well it it seems like that's the right way to think about it it seems like it's the way it's no longer the way to think about it, it feels like to some extent it feels like it's sort of a recognition of what everybody has you know s- seems to understand these days but doesn't like saying out loud that yes judges and justices are acting on partisan political interest rather than the rule of law, rather than as, you know, Chief Justice Roberts described it, I think, at his confirmation hearing as, you know, his job was simply to call balls and strikes. Seems like we are very far away from that now, Josh. Uh, But does this decision in North Carolina To rehear the case, does it reflect on the U.S. Supreme Court hearing in Moore v. Harper itself just a a few weeks, uh, a few few months ago now at this point? Is this a confirmation that republicans in north carolina at least do not think that that hearing went well for them and that either the uh, gerrymander or the broader independent state legislature th- theory itself could be rejected by the supreme court is that why they want to hear it instead of waiting for the uh, supreme court to come back with a uh, with their ruling
2: you know i think that is suggestive of a little more strategy than i i think is going on here mm-hmm. um You know, it's not really clear what the U.S. Supreme Court is going to do with the Moore versus Harper case, but I still suspect that they would, or at least will eventually, adopt some form of this independent state legislature idea. Um, You know, whether it's in this North Carolina case or, you know, if it were able to rule on the merits, I still think it would do a kind of milder form of uh, this, this theory, right? Saying something like, for example, the state Supreme Court could render decisions based on a specific provision of uh, the constitution that that dictates rules specifically Mm -hmm. as opposed to a broader general uh, ideal from the state constitution Um, i just think they saw they had the votes and the justices decided you know they wanted to rehear the thing i I, I don't i don't think they're trying to game this out as much as as other people have suggested (laughs) although you know you know who the heck knows i certainly could be wrong
1: on well that. It, but does it mean then if the north carolina court is going to hear it again does that moot out uh more v harper does the u.s supreme court simply uh, drop it and wait for the same issue to come up in another case
2: i think it will once the north carolina supreme court uh renders a decision in the case. so simply the rehearing itself doesn't technically moot the case because the, there's still a live controversy at the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once the North Carolina Supreme Court renders a decision, and especially, as I suspect, the decision to reverse itself, And uphold the maps under the state constitution, at that point, the U.S. Supreme Court would uh, very likely dismiss the case as moved.
1: Now, I saw some uh, suggesting that the U.S. Supreme Court could rush out their opinion rather than waiting until uh, June or July, as they normally do, in order to preempt whatever North Carolina might be doing. Uh, Your thoughts on that, and, and under what circumstances would they even want to do that, if so?
2: Well, I think there's two reasons you could uh, potentially want to do that if you're on the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, one is if you've got the votes to fully reject this idea of the independent state legislature theory um, and, and you have a definitive opinion saying, actually, state legislatures are bound by the state constitution and state supreme courts can rule uh, and strike down a, a, a state law, um, you know, there could be a reason to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, especially before the North Carolina Supreme Court, you know, it, it sort of wouldn't make a difference then in terms of the North Carolina Supreme Court's decision, but at least it would get the ruling out there before the case is actually mooted. So it's sort of a practical matter. Mm. Um, and then the second reason you might want to do it is if you want to get a resolution of this question before the 2024 presidential election, <laughs> right? Play yeah. this out, this case gets mooted. The case is, the idea, the theory is going to be come up again at the u.s. supreme court and think of the craziness if it occurred in the context of a disputed presidential election right that you know the the focus and the chaos that that would ensue at the u.s. supreme court when we're talking about a disputed, a disputed election would be a lot worse for the country so again i think if if you have the vote to say you know no state supreme courts are allowed to um rule using their state constitutions then better to do so in a way uh, that is not in the context of an ongoing dispute
1: well Josh uh, you know I, I guess uh, part of this sort of dances around the, the broader question that we were arguing earlier in the year in advance of uh, uh, more more V Harper being heard by the US Supreme Court Which is just how insane. I mean, we're talking about this independent state legislature theory, sort of turning it into a doctrine, how it would affect hundreds of years of election laws. I mean, it seems to me it would if, you know, I guess if they make the maximalist uh, ruling at the U.S. Supreme Court, I mean, everything that you and I and everyone else thinks they know about election law kind of goes out the window. If the uh, if the Supreme Court decides the way some of us fear that they could, no.
2: Well, that's absolutely right. It would up up upend decades, centuries of precedent. I mean, the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, has already rejected the idea numerous times in a case from 1932 Mm -hmm. called Smiley v. versus Holm, and a case from 2015 out of Arizona. So it's been rejected multiple times. Although you know there are justices now, especially in the 2020. Pandemic litigation involving voting during a pandemic. Four justices, as you said in your intro, have uh, at least suggested that they would embrace the idea. But I think there's something even more nefarious going on, and I think this is the real problem. So already, the U.S. Supreme Court, in its jurisprudence under the U.S. Constitution, has narrowed the protection of the right to vote, has Mm -hmm. issued case after case in which it said, that the U.S. Constitution does not fully protect the voter Mm rights, and in doing so has engaged in what I've referred to in my work as undue deference to state legislatures. We're Mm -hmm. going to trust the state legislatures and say that they are not bound or they have fewer uh, limitations Mm -hmm. by the U.S. Constitution. Okay, So you have that on one hand. So what do litigants do? They then look at state courts and state constitutions and say, okay, well, state constitutions are broader than the U.S. Constitution, so they should provide more protection. And now the Supreme Court is going to cut that off as well, because it's going to say, no, you can't go to the state constitution right. or the state court because of this so-called independent state legislature idea. So I think it's even more than just this concept of overturning precedent. It's about the very protection of the right to vote, which is already being cut off. Right. When thinking about it through the U.S. Constitution, and this is the way to cut it off when thinking about state constitutions, the ultimate idea here is just pure deference to state legislatures. The foxes really will be guarding the house. Yes,
1: yeah, state l- legislatures, which have been already, uh, you know, gerrymandered within an inch of their life. And, uh, you know, they'll see- simply keep those gerrymanders in place for life. They will get to the- be the ultimate authority for every election law. Never mind a governor's veto, never mind a secretary of state, never mind a voter initiative on the ballot. I, I mean, that's how this could play out. It is frankly terrifying. Uh, Josh, before we get out here, the, the, uh, the, as, as noted, the um, gerrymandering case in North Carolina was not the only one that this new Republican majority on the North Carolina Supreme Court decided to rehear just months after already deciding on a case. Uh, in December, with the old Left leaning majority in the state, the uh, high court struck down the Republican legislature's photo ID voting restriction law, finding it unconstitutional, finding it having a discriminatory purpose to make it harder for minority voters to vote. But now the uh, new GOP majority on the high court has decided to rehear that one as well. Has anything changed? Have lawmakers changed the law in any way that would make a new decision necessary by this new majority? Or is this simply, again, you know, sort of forum shopping now that they've got a majority on the court they think will approve this previously unconstitutional law?
2: Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. The court's composition has changed. And this is, again, why it's dangerous to have elected judges with a party label. Because everyone knows what's going on here. Everyone knows that the court was 4-3 in favor of Democrats. It's 5-2 in favor of Republicans now, because the Republicans won two of those seats. Um, And they were poised to reverse a decision that they were in the dissent Mm -hmm. before. Uh, Again, this is just another example of where the rule of law seems to be thrown out the window, this idea of precedent that the law builds upon itself, um, is being thrown out when we just think of uh judges as politicians in robes explicitly even if people had thought this was going on before i think judges themselves felt a little bit tabbed by this idea that they're not politicians and they're not um judges uh just politicians in robes and and political actors but uh that that idea is now Uh, thrown
1: out the window. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. It feels like that has all been thrown out the window. Uh, And, and, you know, if a fish rots from the head down, it's been thrown out the window from the U.S. Supreme Court on down to the uh, state courts as well at this point. It's kind of terrifying. Uh, As this moves uh, forward, Josh, I hope you won't mind if we call you again as uh, either the Supreme Court comes back with their ruling or as North Carolina comes back with their re-ruling in these cases, it is mind-blowing and uh, troubling to say the least. Uh, Professor Josh Douglas teaches and researches election law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. You can find his work uh, on these matters that we've been discussing here at WashingtonMonthly.com You can also check out his personal web uh, uh, website JoshuaADouglas.com where I suspect you can get his books and on the Twitters at JoshuaADouglas Professor Douglas, always an honor speaking with you, sir. Look forward to doing it the next time.
2: Thanks so much.
1: You bet. Okay, we uh, let's take a quick break here, and okay. we'll come back with some uh, listener feedback ah. from yesterday's mostly call-in broadcast debating the ongoing fight for democracy over autocracy at the one-year mark of Russia's imperialist invasion of neighboring sovereign Ukraine. And yes, Desi Doyne's Green News Report. All Yay. of that is still ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, taking the good with the bad, as we always do on this program. Glad you could be here with us. Uh, As uh, regular listeners know, uh, whenever we can, while we're broadcasting live out of our flagship station, KPFK, here in L.A., I like to open up the phones on occasion, often to hear from folks who may not agree with me on various things, so we can talk it out. Uh, Debate it out, argue it out, whatever it is. Yes, we do believe in diversity of voices and opinions here, at least those who are presumably speaking in good faith, as I believe that most of our listeners and callers uh, are speaking in good faith. Uh, Even if they have been misinformed or disinformed by either other programs, other media, social media, etc., Uh, I'd like to think they're speaking in good faith. I know Desi uh, may feel differently about that, but
0: (laughs) well, I do screen most all of the calls. Actually, you do, yeah, I do before they go on the air to find out who they are and what they want to talk about, where they're calling from, etc. And I find that they do seem to be uh, very sincere, and these are their, you know, appear to be sincerely held beliefs.
1: So, to that end, yes, we opened up the phones on yesterday's show. Hopefully, you heard it to hear largely from listeners who may not agree with me. That democratic nations like the U.S. and the uh, and others in, in Europe, for example, need to continue supporting Ukraine in their fight for democracy over autocracy at the one year mark of uh, Russia's imperialistic invasion of their sovereign neighbor, which I find appalling. I find it appalling when the U.S launches an imperialistic attack against another sovereign nation, I find it appalling when Russia does the same thing. But as also noted yesterday, while there are some on the right who are predictably now opposed to further support of Ukraine, presumably because they kind of prefer authoritarianism over democracy, Also, because there's a Democrat in the White House, but there are also far too many on the left, I'm very sad to say, who have been hoaxed, in my opinion, by, well, Kremlin funded propaganda over many years now, in my opinion, uh, hoaxed to believe that somehow the U.S. is actually to blame for Russia's grotesque, unlawful invasion of Ukraine. Now featuring what nuclear weapons opponent and and policy analyst Stephen Schwartz on this very program last week described as nuclear coercion. And I you know I'm I'm very sad to see it. the idea that uh, you know Russia might use nuclear weapons and so the U.S uh, out of fear, for that should now pull its support from Ukraine to somehow avoid a nuclear World War III. And, of course, the mistaken idea that once Russia has then taken Ukraine, well, they won't continue Putin's stated objective, essentially, of reconstituting the old Soviet Union and therefore going in and taking Belarus, Moldova, Poland, etc., etc. next. That somehow we should be... So concerned about this that I guess we are to just hand over Ukraine to Russia.
0: Just allow Russia to take over a sovereign country and do with it what it wills.
1: If you miss that show uh, on uh, Monday, I would urge you to tune in for it. Decide for yourself. Download it for free at bradblog.com. Also, if you miss the show with Stephen Schwartz, you may want to hear that one, too. Or you can get it at your favorite podcast site. Let me know what you think. You can send me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com or the Bradblog on Twitter and Facebook and Mastodon, etc., because we took a lot of callers uh, on the show who had a lot of, let's say, um, fun and interesting ideas to debate <laughs> with me on that topic. And I don't want our listeners... ...to get a bad name based on those few who, you know, we knew disagreed with me. That's why we invited them to call in uh, and we prioritized those people who disagreed with me on yesterday's program. So I don't want all of our listeners to get a bad name. In fact, while many of those callers disagreed with me and seemed to support Putin's war crimes... For some reason, or maybe they just oppose the U.S., even in those rare moments when the U.S. is actually not wrong for a change in our foreign policy. But I don't believe that the folks we had on the air are necessarily representative of our listeners. We, in fact, stacked the deck uh, in a way because I asked for listeners who disagreed with me. So. If the emails and comments and social media remarks, et cetera, that came in after the show, frankly, at about a rate of eight or nine or 10 to one in favor of my argument in the case, if that is any indication, those tankies out there, as some call them, those folks from the supposed left who seem to support Russian authoritarianism for some bizarre reasons, Uh, I still believe they are the vast minority of our listeners, based on at least the incoming uh, email and comments and so forth after yesterday's show. To that end, and to demonstrate that case before we get to our Green News report today, a few responses to yesterday's program from various sources that I believe more accurately reflect the majority of broadcast listeners. So, for example, on Twitter, from Kylo Echo, Quote, well done, Brad. You handled yourself well and kept your logic consistent, whereas most folks debating you couldn't articulate their argument or say what they thought you were omitting. There was one caller who said I was lying by omitting certain facts, and I kept begging him to tell me (laughs) which facts that I am omitting.
0: Yes, and he never could come up with anything. He just insisted that that was the case.
1: Kylo Echo continues, I'm on a budget, but I'm proud to support KPFK, and felt compelled to donate after that spirited debate. There's nowhere else on air in Southern California where we can have these kinds of conversations. Debate takes us away from our own echo chambers and draws out the truth or fallacy of an issue, or at least helps us better understand an alternative perspective, even if we don't agree with it. Really great stuff, he said. Email to Bradcast at bradblog.com from Deepak, subject, Truth. Yo, Brother B and Sister D. (laughs) That would be you, sister. I think so. Uh, Thank you for your passion for truth. What a breath of fresh air. I admire uh, your calmness amid a sea of anger. I learned so much from your show. Keep spreading the truth and your goodness blessings, says Deepak. Thank you very much for that. Email from Sharon, who also donated. Quote, well done today, tonight, Brad, quite a lot of hard work. My first visit and donation to you, however, I listen regularly, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. in Minneapolis as I fix dinner.
0: Oh, yeah, KTNF.
1: KTNF. I hope we do not ruin her appetite <laughs> too often before dinner. Brad, another Brad. Uh, Not me, but another Brad on Facebook writes in to say, great show today on KPFK. Any negotiations with Russia starts with the immediate, safe and coordinated withdrawal of all Russian troops. And of course, I agree, though that is not normally how negotiations begin, but that has got to be the goal. I asked someone on yesterday's show who said we need to negotiate. And the question was, well, negotiate for what? Negotiate to allow Russia to keep Part of a separate sovereign nation, by the way, a sovereign nation that they agreed to protect, that they agreed that their border would be uh, secure back in 1994 when Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons, gave them to Russia in exchange for the promise that they would protect the sovereignty of Ukraine. That was the so-called Budapest memorandums. Look them up. Let's see. Uh, uh, Greg uh, also on Facebook said, uh, You always bring the truth. Thank you for that. Plus, he added heart emojis. So that was nice. <laughs> uh, over on Daily Coast, Tippy and Dad wrote If we bend to Putin's blackmail, nuclear war is more likely than if we push back united, not with nuclear, but with strong support for Ukraine. China's recent peace plan has many flaws, but it does demand all sides renounce nukes as a bargaining chip off the table completely. Well, I like that idea. He continues, uh, that is very helpful since China can tell Putin what his staff won't, that his war is failing. Adding one awful fact that we can agree with the tankies on Every day goes by, more innocent Ukrainians die. We've got to end this thing this year. Use the U.N. General Assembly vote and China's gambit to staunch the bleeding ASAP once Ukraine has a shot at taking back more land. And then station U.S. Aircap and AWACS in Ukraine. Peace with strength is what dictators understand, he writes. By the way, that phrase, tankies, uh, if you haven't heard it before, again, I I mentioned those are essentially folks uh, from the left who, for some reason, are sympathetic to Russian authoritarianism. It comes from the um, early uh, 20th century, I believe, uh, from uh, Great Britain, and uh, that was a reference to uh, the British Communist Party, as I recall, uh, particularly during the Prague Spring in in 1968, yes, when, uh, Russia went into Prague using tanks, and those who supported them thus were became known as uh, the tankies, folks on the left who support Russia authoritarianism,
0: Russia invading other countries.
1: There you go. Seems to happen all the time, doesn't it? Our also, at D Coast, uh, D Coast, Bob sixty two old says, if we don't back Ukraine. We will fight World War III. Tim A. 11 writes, if we don't back Ukraine, we lose democracy. It gets eaten away more in places like Hungary, Serbia, Turkey and Romania, than taken away in Moldova, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Western Europe and USA are not immune. If we lose democracy, we are all slaves to some tyrant hard to disagree. And again, like I said, uh, most of the comments were kind of along these lines. Supportive, even if the phone calls we took on yesterday's show, most of them were not. But that was on purpose. Uh, Cynthia writes uh, via email to Bradcast at Bradblog.com. Subject, right on, Brad. I am with you 100% on Ukraine. I find your logic on the matter impeccable and your thinking clear. And to be sure, I don't know that history repeats, but it sure does rhyme. I see Putin as another Hitler. Who knows how history might, might have been different if Chamberlain had stood up to Hitler and told him to get the hell out of all of these countries he invaded. Perhaps World War Two might not have happened. I don't know. But letting Hitler have his way certainly didn't work out too well. And letting Putin go unopposed could work out in the end just as badly. Love your show. You rock, Cynthia. Thank you very much, Cynthia. You rock. And finally, from my friend DR Tucker via Mastodon, where you can also find me. I am the Brad blog there as well, specifically the Brad blog at jorna.host. Desi is a uh, green news report at jorna.host Jorna on yes. Mastodon. Please visit me there. Uh, right. DR uh, Tucker writes to say, Great show, odd callers, <laughs> LOL, CIA apologist. WTF yes. I
0: agree with that
1: Someone called me a CIA apologist I guess I'm doing better Because I used to say I was a secretly a CIA agent Or something It's like whenever anybody doesn't agree with me It's because I must be secretly working for the CIA It
0: must be There's no other possible explanation
1: And of course If I was secretly working for the CIA <laughs> What would I do? I would come on the air And make fun of people who said I worked for the CIA So So now you don't know what to believe, do you? (laughs) Maybe I'm working for the CIA. Anyway, WTF indeed. Just a sampling there uh, of, uh, you know, there were also some who opposed me on Twitter, though I don't think they actually heard the show or even read uh, Monday's blog item. Uh, Just the headline on Twitter and they reacted to it. As noted, uh, it was about 8 or 9 or 10 to 1 in favor of my basic argument after the show. But we do like to have all uh, sorts of voices, again, legitimate voices, good-faith voices, whether they are misinformed, disinformed, or not. Do not let our southern, some of our Southern California callers give you the wrong impression, particularly when I'm specifically inviting them to call in if they disagree with me. I believe such conversations and debates and disagreements are a good thing to have. If you, however, disagree, feel free to write me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and maybe I will share that. On an upcoming program. All right, quick break, and we are back with Green News Report. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. so, we have been spending uh, months and months whining about the heat and the drought out here in California.
0: Yes, we have.
1: And now we've been spending weeks uh, whining about the cold and the unstopping rain here in California. <laughs> Is there nothing that will make us happy, Desi Doyen? Apparently not. Apparently not. Goldilocks weather every day. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice, or would it? Anyway, as all discussed in our latest Green News Report.
2: This wild weather is absolutely
1: crazy. What a wild sort (laughs) of... you know, bizarro thing to happen this time of year. It is bizarro.
0: Bizarro weather whiplash as winter gets warmer and weirder in the U.S.
2: What's going to happen five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now?
0: Rising concerns about the long-term impact of the Ohio chemical train derailment, plus...
1: Maybe the regulation needs to be there. I think there needs to be, uh, there's a widespread sentiment to have a, a look at the whole rail industry, what the lobbyists are doing.
0: Fox News discovers that
1: regulations
0: protect the public.
1: All of those discoveries... And more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyon. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. East Palestine, Ohio, got visits from both Donald Trump and Pete Buttigieg, but some
0: Fox personalities insisted that others really should have been there too. Think about the environmental activists and corporate America. They weren't there. I mean, this with the activists, this is an Aaron Brockovich moment. I mean, there was a blockbuster Oscar-winning movie written about something
1: like this Erin Brockovich is Leo actually DiCaprio. in East Palestine tonight,
0: right she now is, She is, she is, but where's Julia Roberts?
1: What? What indeed This is your Green News Report You realize
2: Julia Roberts is an actor, right? She's not actually Erin Brockovich What the f*** is wrong with you?
1: Okay, Desi Doyen. uh, before we get to Ohio Just a quick question. What the hell is going on with the weather across the entire country?
0: Yes, it is definitely weird. Weather whiplash hit across the U.S. over the weekend after an epic storm brought heavy snow, ice, and rain from the west coast across the northern half of the country. It even included an extremely rare blizzard warning for Los Angeles. On the
1: upside, the mountains and foothills were beautiful out here in Los Angeles on Sunday, covered with snowfall.
0: The cold snow and Ice in the north was in sharp contrast to simultaneous record breaking hot February temperatures in the east and southeast, with temperatures hitting in the 80s. It hit 102 degrees in Falcon Lake, Texas, oh, one of the man. hottest temperatures ever recorded in the lower 48 so early in the year. Then the same storm system generated at least nine tornadoes and destructive winds across the southern plains on Monday, knocking out power and killing at least one person in Oklahoma. If confirmed, the outbreak would set a record for the most tornadoes ever recorded in the month of February. We
1: have so broken our climate.
0: Climate change is making winter weather warmer and weirder. I knew it! That's according to a new analysis by climate data firm Climate Central, which found that winter in the U.S. is warming up, particularly in the Northeast and upper Midwest, where winter temperatures have warmed 5 to 7 degrees Fahrenheit since the 1980s. Climate scientists say more heat energy in the system is intensifying extreme weather events, it's also playing havoc with crops that require persistent cold temperatures like apples, cherries, and blueberries.
1: Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine.
0: In Europe, an unusually warm, precipitation-free winter has deepened an ongoing historic drought. Lack of snow in the Alps is hammering winter tourism revenue and raising concerns for drought in the spring. Little to no snowpack to feed rivers, streams, and reservoirs throughout the spring is a major concern now for farmers planting crops and for shipping as Europe's rivers continue to run at or near historic lows. Here in the U.S., in the ongoing toxic chemical train derailment disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, officials still say that tests of air and water remain below levels of concern, but an independent analysis by Texas A&M University has found slightly elevated levels of nine chemicals at the derailment site and warns of potential long-term health impacts from low-level chronic exposure if the levels persist. The EPA has begun testing groundwater in the area and has taken over ship of contaminated wastewater and soil from the cleanup to ensure that it goes to EPA-approved facilities. Elected Republicans and right-wing media have developed a sudden interest in this one industrial pollution disaster Mm -hmm. and have attempted to turn the derailment into a political proxy war. In a press conference late last week in East Palestine, Biden Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg called on Republicans to make good on their newfound interest in regulation and public safety and called on the rail industry to join in.
2: Norfolk Southern and the other freight rail companies need to stop fighting us every time we try to do a regulation, in order to hold them accountable and their other railroad companies accountable for their safety.
1: Yeah, I mean, Republicans have been fighting regulations for years and years, including on uh, the railways. And now all of a sudden they're just furious that there weren't enough regulations on the railways, please.
0: And finally, some good news for the planet. Since the inauguration of Brazil's new president, known simply as Lula, the rate of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest has plunged by more than 60 percent, just as Lula promised during his election campaign.
1: Nice. Thank you. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I'm going out- All right. I got to get off this crazy train myself, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, although I will note it will be very interesting to see if now that the Republicans have been uh, have have hoaxed themselves into pretending to be mad about what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, with yep. the, with the uh, trains blowing up uh, and now they're realizing, oh, gosh, regulations could have stopped that. Do you think if there are new proposals for actual regulations for this kind of thing that they'll support it or will they just hope to you know, move on to the next outrage and let that all go away? The
0: second one. Yeah. I don't believe Republicans yeah. will ever actually allow any more regulations on industry that will help the public that will in any way undercut the bottom line of those corporations.
1: Because I know Democrats would be delighted. To have to pass such a law to uh, protect these bomb trains that we've been dealing with now for so many years in this country. Yep. That'll be fun to watch. I'm sure they'll just move on to the next outrage. I think you're probably right, Desi Doyen. Desi Doyen is the producer of the broadcast. Thank you for the fine job that you do every day. (laughs) My thanks to our guest today, University of Kentucky College of Law's Joshua A. Douglas, and to all of you, for spending a portion of your day or night with us it is always greatly appreciated if you missed any portion of today's program you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com where in addition to now celebrating our 15th year of the green news report we are celebrating our 20th year of bradblog.com all made possible by listeners who hit one of them donate buttons or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Couldn't do it without you. Thanks in advance. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Peace train sound in louder. on the peace train.